The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. again it's his show it's brandon all right here's hoping the united states listeners had a happy and safe fourth of july this is the brandon peters show today's episode features and i am freaking stoked for this actually uh discussion of 1984's breakdance marvel breaking Joining me for that discussion from why so blue and his brand new youtube video essay series which aaron newworth and uh, I are not calling anything but the Peter Paris Show. It's Peter <laughs> Paris. Hey, hey. Good to be here. Hello. Welcome, Pete. Now, my, uh, my listeners, if they listen to everything, they've heard you before because the commentary series gets released on this uh, show as well as out now with Aaron and Abe, and you are a regular staple of that. But this is like your first time knowing or going again, being like on the show proper. So welcome. Yeah, I'm... I'm excited to be on. Yeah, I think you've been doing it. Like I, I really, yeah. Wait, how long you've been doing this now? How many uh, episodes are you on? What episode is this? Thirty-nine. Wow. Thirty-nine That's of great. like, yeah, of, of just like the regular Monday shows. Um, not wow. counting the bonus week, the holiday specials week I did. So it's, I've done more. Yeah. So week, week thirty-nine, forty-ish, something like that. Wow. Well, since, since September of last year so okay and just yeah i was thinking about six months so a little longer yeah a little longer a little longer yeah it's gone quick it's gone quick it's been fun still <laughs> fun still got fresh faces like yourself to come on and yep. and talk about it and it, and i get to uh, people know this but you know i give you shit daily um we have a little message group yes literally daily yes literally yeah. daily that we <laughs> argue up and down about films I yes. get Pete shit. Sometimes Pete's like, you joking? I'm like, I'm always joking. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, but you've recently uh, got a new endeavor doing something you've been wanting to do and been like prepping and working on the video essays on YouTube. Does it have an official name or is it just Pete's YouTube channel? Uh, I, you know, I, well, as my shirt uh, says, I, uh, years ago, I, I want to say it was my gamer tag. It was a long time. It was either my gamer tag or Twitter, but somewhere along the line, like my name is uh, Peter James and somewhere along the line, I bought pajama would be kind of a fun thing. So my video game, my gamer tags, my social media is all pajama. So my YouTube has been pajama for years and I didn't really post much. Like went to Fiona Apple show. I might like post some footage of being at the show, but I've never really had a, like a theme. Um, but with the pandemic, I really got into, I've always been into podcasts, you know, like yours, stuff. I like, I love podcasts, but I wasn't really into video essays or video reviews because I didn't really have time. But now that I'm not commuting to work, like most of us, I started watching tons of them on YouTube and I got into Patrick H. Willems and Lindsay Ellis and what is it? The honest trailers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not really an essay, but and so I really got into those. So I, 
just recently took a, I took an online class at UCLA. I'm in Los Angeles. And I took an online class at UCLA just for about writing and analysis. And, and the second part of the class goes into social media. So it was like, oh, do a review on Twitter or whatever. One of the weeks it was like, do a video review, or if you want, do a podcast. And I was like, oh, this is my chance. Like I can totally do a video review uh, or an essay. Um, I should say my my job in real life, I work for entertainment studios. So I do promos for old movies, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from like the 70s and 80s. So I'm used to cutting promos. So I hopefully that skill worked well into doing video essays. Um, and video essays, in case people don't know, it's essentially, it's kind of like a movie review, but it's it could be about one movie or it could be like about a theme that you see but it's not necessarily just about is it good or bad. It's more about like kind of diving in and stuff. And so I really wanted to do that. So yeah, so I've done a, I've done two movie, two traditional movie reviews, and I've done two video essays. One on Step Up to the Streets, uh, which, as we know, break in right precursor precursor to that. And then I did a top five on Taylor Swift's music videos. Um, and I know you love music videos. I do. And I yeah. dis- discuss music videos. That was another thing that I felt like I didn't see a lot of people discussing music videos, and I was like, "Oh, that might be kind of fun to like talk about." So, so, so yeah, it really is. It, it, it's yeah. So it's great. It's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of because while we still have music videos, they are kind of gone, become a relic. Like because they're not. I mean, they. they I don't know. People. I know people say that, but. They're I mean, not I as would crucial check. to the marketing as they used to be. Right. I would agree on, yes, I would agree on that. But when you have, I mean, I don't know, how old is the, uh, what was Gangnam Style? What is that? that five, seven years? Ten? It's a while. Maybe ten. That's like billions of views. I mean, yeah. so it's not, I mean, it's, it's not. Di- different. A, like, right. In a Taylor Swift video, like up until her new album, which is smaller because it's an indie thing or whatever, or an indie vibe, like her two big albums, those are like, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of views. So I'm like, I was like, well, they're pretty big, but you're right. I would agree with you. When I was a kid, you had MTV, you would talk about the latest Nirvana video or Michael Jackson or whatever. And that was a thing. So I understand what you're saying about it being much, it's use as a marketing tool, I think was much more prevalent in the eighties and nineties. But I don't know. I definitely feel like when I like an artist, especially a pop artist, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to see their music. A Lady Gaga, probably another one. I definitely want to see what their music videos are. I hope they never go away because I think I would assume these videos are pretty expensive. Big ones, like a Taylor Swift video. But by the way, you were a band or a pop artist, like part of your first album and everything was, oh, we got to do the music video, pick the three songs, we'll shoot them for you. Now you might not get that. <laughs> like it's true. That's true. And the ones we're talking about are huge and hugely established artists and possibly the hangovers from like when music videos were last somewhat prevalent too. Uh, right. You got your Katy Perry's, Taylor Swift's, all them, but and Gaga, of course, but plus Gaga's always going to do it. She's very theatrical. So I would, I would imagine we see. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, do you got any uh, upcoming videos or anything you're working on now? No, I, I, well, oh no. Well, I will probably, um, I saw Black Widow. Mm-hmm. So I want to do, I'm going to do a written review for, for the site for whysoblue.com. Mm-hmm. 
And then I will probably do a short um, video review of Black Widow. But as far as an essay, uh, I don't know. I I mean, I really wanted to do a thing on music videos and I really wanted to do a thing on a dance thing. I could keep going. Like maybe I could do something on breaking. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do something on other music videos. I don't know. I sometimes think about, and I think a lot of video essays are like this. You think about a film or a series that you love, you know, like the Matrix sequels yeah. and why they're great. I've seen, a mil- there's a ton of those online, like yeah. where somebody wants to see something that everyone thinks is terrible. So they want to defend it. I could probably think of something like that. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I, I, I would like to, one of the things I really like about your show is, and I, I, I think that's about anybody who does, you know, things on a, on YouTube or a podcast is it's very much about consistency. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, especially cause we're in summer movie season, I'm like, well, I really just got to keep doing this. I think that when it was a class project, like it puts you under the gun. You're like, all right, I'm going to, I hopefully going to be creative and I hope this is really good. But then when you're not, it's that weird thing of like, well, should I just keep doing this? Even if it's not good, the act of doing it hopefully makes me better. I'm assuming you would say, yes, that that's a good thing to just keep going. Imaginary Don't, deadline. Like, delay it. like I always yeah. need to have a video by here. And here's the thing I'll tell you about. You may think it's not all there or you might just be like, well, I just got something out. Come around, someone comes to you and been like, man, that was one of my favorites. Or when you did that, I really liked that point. And you're like, like I've, I've had that with, I, I've never done that in podcasting. But um, I've had some <laughs> of my, some of my wife's so blue reviews, I just get stacks or I get behind and I got to catch up and I can't put the concentrated effort into my reviews. I'm like, okay, I can get, f- let me get my th- three to five paragraphs and call it a day on my content specs or another thing because i always like well by the time a blu-ray is coming out or something like they don't need my movie review they want to know the specs because it's the blu-ray but people have come to me on shit that i swear i mailed in and like well i'm like that was i just that came out of my ass but all right glad it touched (laughs) you or glad you You know what thing you know it's so funny you say that i literally had eh, i wouldn't say it was as as big a praise as you were doing, but, um, you know, a little, uh, behind this, if I can talk about a behind the scenes here at white yeah. blue, I ended up doing Godzilla versus Kong, right? You were going to do Godzilla yep. versus Kong. I ended up uh, doing it and I did it quickly. Cause I was like, oh, okay, I'll just do this. I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. I do. I really enjoy the movie. And then, you know, on my Facebook page, on my Twitter, I, I always post my why so blues and I usually get like some likes, like something like that. But I actually woke up yesterday and a, uh, a woman I met in, in an improv class I took, mm-hmm. like shared my Godzilla Kong review. And she's like, oh, this is really good. My friend Peter says, and this is one of the best Godzilla movies ever. And I was like, what's like, <laughs> and it was sort of to what you're saying yeah. that in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'll write the review part, but the big deal is the is the audio and the video. It's like, mm-hmm. how good is this 4K compared to streaming and stuff? Right. But you're right. It, it, it was not something that, I mean, I wrote it in a night because I was like, I just got to get this done. Like, so, yeah. but yeah, that, and that is always really nice. It's cool if somebody like appreciates, I mean, it's cool anytime somebody appreciates something. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I always very appreciative of, you know, pray and stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy uh, to think that someone would care about you know, I do it because I like it. 
because I, I, you know, I enjoy things that what people do. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm always hard on myself too. I always, I always like, ah, I'm, I'm a hack. You know, I always, I always have that. It's just my mind. I'm like, why would, why would someone pay attention to me or like something I'm doing? It's always just a weird thing. It's just who I am. I'm not trying to be fake humble or anything. It's just how I roll, which I can imagine you probably have that same feeling. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Like that's why I'm not an alpha. I'm not like, yeah, you like my stuff, you know. I'm like, all right, I'm confident in my work, and I'm not. It's it's an odd. odd no, I feel the same. I and 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 in and in doing a podcast like yours, or in what I'm trying to do with the video and stuff, it's mm-hmm. a strange thing because, like, yeah, okay, like right now, Black Widow is not out yet. So mm-hmm. in theory, if I were to do the video thing and post it in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe it'll get some views because not a not everybody has seen it mm-hmm. but i don't know then i'm like eh but there's still enough outlets and then something like and maybe this can connect us to talking about breaking when i did my first video essay i wanted to do it on step up 2 um and in many ways what i like about step up 2 is the same thing i like about breaking and i i sort of thought i think mistakenly i sort of thought i was like well how many people have done something about step up 2 so mm-hmm. i don't know like, is it good to find something in pop culture that maybe a lot of people haven't talked about? Or is it better to just be like, look, man, it's a Marvel movie. Everybody knows about these Marvel movies. Just go with that. I don't know. That's what I'm I've been sure. You I, know, like, I'll tell you what, like, yeah, if, it's probably going to get you attention with the Marvel. But how far buried into the Marvel pit are you going to be? Yeah, and right. I don't know. My, my show here, I've been trying to just go for odd favorites of people stuff that people aren't talking about every week and i'm sure my show probably could get better numbers if i just had more pop click <laughs> seo friendly titles but i just i'm not interested in that and i'm i'm interested in like how many people are searching for a podcast talking about how to lose a guy in 10 days right, i want to have exactly. that that's the conversations i want to have right. like we all currently in the moment with marvel it's cyclical conversations like it can be a different person but you know they're going to hit on the same things they're going to yeah if i'm going to talk about something like that like when i did my back to the future episode i've got to have a reason why it's going to not be the same conversation i did uh back when i first started the show i did back to the future but we recast it as if it was made in the 90s that was our conversation so we talked about the characters and what they meant and stuff and how you would get another actor to fit that or what what means those kind of things came out in a different way and we had a lot of fun with it and I got a lot of good I got a lot of good feedback on that episode I just worked my ass off on putting it together that I'm like I haven't approached remaking anything else yet but that was the conversation I would have I'm like that's an interesting angle to have with back to the future cuz we can all it's the movie's that old podcasts are that old vision right. written essays like it's been done. So I don't know what you could do is like shutter releases a movie every Thursday. You could start doing essays on those. There's hungry horror fans that are going to be looking. For That's the, true. For those, you know, movies. I mean, grand, you're not going to be in the, you know, it's probably going to be a dice roll with how good they are, but <laughs> yeah. that's something. But yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Step up Two is a great choice. Like that's a excellent choice that people probably aren't getting visual essays on all the time. And it deserves it. It really, I mean, that series really does. Yeah, like oh no, well thanks, man. Like I uh it's it goes kind of with your how to how to lose a guy in ten days thing is that like right now where I am right now, and I'm sure you even though you've done so many, I'm sure you somewhat feel this way because you're still in your first year, mm-hmm. is that 
it's such a cliche thing to say, but like right now, as long as you're having fun, if you're mm -hmm. like, you know what, this is something I want to do. This is something I want to talk to people about. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of all that really should matter. Well, the fun of this show is the bounce for me right now. Like I love, since I'm not selecting movies pretty much all the time, it's the way it's been floating has been fun as hell. Like, uh, I took a week off, um, and then I came back and we did did the haunting, then I did the writer, then I did Hawk the Slayer, and now I'm doing Breaking. Like, oh, and How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days was in that bounce too. It was like I I love the battle. I'm like this is so weird, and I like I don't know where I'm going next. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you have a I mean you put together videos before you said background was post production type things something when you went out to L A you wanted to do or like. What was when I when I moved to LA um, a billion years ago in 2000, I mm -hmm. I, I honestly I just knew I wanted to work in entertainment. Mm -hmm. I was a big I was a big fan of film criticism already, but I was probably like most other people. I was like, oh, I want to you know write, direct, act. I want to work on a show, work on a movie. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up getting a job at e Entertainment Television, which which would later become known for like um, keeping up the Kardashians and yeah. things like that. Things I'm not really into. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would do promos for reality shows, but E Entertainment had a component. They had an E online and I ended up getting to know the editor and I was like, Hey man, do you guys ever do movie reviews or video games? Um, that's another big thing I was in and they didn't have anybody for video games. And so that was my way in. I was like, Oh, well I could give you like a five games this year that are awesome. And so that was my first gig, like freelancing for for like a site or whatever yeah. um and i really liked it and then i would say yeah i would say my career my life in la has been professionally basically in promos not like i said now I, I i worked at mgm before and now i'm at entertainment studios but like on a personal level i've liked reviewing movie basically movies and games mm -hmm. strangely i'm not really that into television i i watch <laughs> a ton of television yeah but I have no, I'm not, I, I have a friend who does a podcast and I go, I do, I go her podcast where we talk about whatever we watch that week or whatever. And what I like about that is, I mean, I know those people. So again, the, it's, it's just, well, not, I think what you, I think you meant bounce in a different way, but I like the yeah. back and forth with yeah. talking to people about what they're watching, but I would say primarily, yeah, I, I pretty much stick to like, like movies and video games and right. stuff.
looking at death, man. Come on, sucker, right now. She was good. I'm better. Who do you think you are anyway, President Hare? Who? Don't be mistaken, you got to see breaking. Breakin' is directed by Joel Silberg, written by Gerald Scaife, Charles Parker, and Alan DeBouvois. It stars Lucinda Dickey, Adolfo Quinones, Michael Chambers, Christopher McDonald, and Ice-T. And look closely, folks, it features a cameo from action icon Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is two years before No Retreat, No Surrender, and four years before his breakout in Bloodsport features a struggling young jazz dancer who meets up with two break dancers together they become the sensation of the street crowds so pete tell us why you wanted to bring break in to the show honestly i mean it's it's really just a personal thing uh when i was young and i saw break in in theaters because i'm that old i would say before break in all my movie things were basically pretty much I guess Star Wars or at least Lucas Spielberg. Cause right. I, by that, by that time I had already seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and I'd probably seen some Star Trek, right? It's 84. So I think Star Trek 2 would have been out there. Yeah. Rathacon. Star Trek 2 would have been out by then. I would say Breaking is a big deal for me personally, because until I see that, until that movie, and it's not really not just a movie. It's also like, you know, hip hop in the eighties and breakdancing and, and, um, graffiti and street art you know all of that stuff Mm -hmm. um i feel like before that my pop culture love was i guess what we would say is genre like horror movies like i'd seen the thing Mm -hmm. i remember i begged my mom to let me go see the thing she my mom terrified of horror films and she i think my aunt or someone took me and i was probably way too what was that 82 i was probably way too (laughs) to see the thing um but so i would say my taste basically as a movie as a young movie buff was basically genre it was like sci-fi horror mm-hmm. and break in was the kind of thing where i was 13 13 or 14 and so i was just at that age when like sort of like there's maybe kids down the street that are starting to do this thing and then i'm getting into break dancing and your cardboard box and stuff and then this movie comes out by canon which mm-hmm. of course i have no idea I would later see that documentary about Canon Studios and everything. But like, it is so strange to say, but I don't, I think for me, it was one of the first movies I saw. This is going to sound ridiculous. It was one of the first movies I saw where they were real people. (laughs) (laughs) They're not. It is such a weird scripted candy version of Los Angeles. I mean, I'm from Chicago. But Mm. what I mean by that is they're not, they're not superheroes. They're not Jedi's. They're right. not teenagers running away from Jason. It's just like, these are people living in LA and she wants to be a dancer. And and it, I don't know. I thought that seemed so cool to me. Over the years, um, it has just become a mainstay. It is, it's a thing that I've had on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. I've just seen it so many times. When I was uh, younger, I remember, I think I saw it at a first run theater with my best friend. And then it went to a dollar theater and when I say a dollar theater, because I have no idea when people say that now, what that means, but it was literally like a dollar. Yeah, I had those, yeah. Yeah. And I think I saw Breaking like seven times. Like I just, we, every day after school, just let's go see Breaking again. So I saw Breaking so many times. Um, I just, I love it. And then the other thing I want to say, which kind of relates to the essay I did on Step Up, is that I don't think, I mean this in the best way that 
I understand when people talk about why what they love about a movie is, especially if you become a film fan mm-hmm. or I guess it'd be television or whatever, you really start to love the craft of acting, of writing, of, you know, of direction. And that's all great. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I love that, but I do think sometimes I think that as audience members, we sometimes forget that, or we're sort of fooling ourselves if we're thinking that the only reason we think a movie is good is because it has to have good characters and it has to have a good plot. I don't think that's true. Um, I think you probably could talk way more than I can that what I'm getting at is probably sort of what you like about the Friday 13th movies. I don't think anybody would say, oh my God, this is Academy Award winning writing. and right. acting. Yeah, it's I know, like, yeah. No, that's not why you're seeing a Friday 13th movie. And I think that, yeah, a, 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 a break dancing, a dance movie, you know, by this time, Saturday Night Fever had already been out. And that's obviously a very well-made like drama slash dance. But I think there is something to losing yourself in a movie and it's not really, it, it, it is not about what we think of on that craft level. I do think it is about the craft of dancing mm-hmm. and the use of music and editing. So I'm not saying there's no craft. There is, of course, craft. But it is a different thing. So even though I also laugh at the clunky dialogue and break-in and some of the acting and the plot structure, I do. I think it's silly and I, I can't defend it. I don't really think it matters no and again maybe do your friday 13th thing like i feel like we don't discuss that enough it's like when i think on another level when we talk about the mission impossible movies which are made on a huge budget and they're extremely well made i like and those those are well acted and everything but honestly i couldn't tell you anything about ethan hunt as a character he's Mm -hmm. tom cruise and i love tom cruise but like what I like about Mission Impossible is, wow, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie, they've designed these really cool set pieces where Tom and the crew are doing these amazing stunts and everything. And it looks great and it moves great. And that's great. But is it really about it? I'm not saying it's not about the plot because it's like it is, but I don't know. So to me, something like Mission Impossible, that is a $150 million version. But Something like Step Up, I think, can have the same charms where I just I just really like I, I love all this kind of stuff. I love the dancing. But anyways, go ahead. Step Up, it's a feeling. It's a it's a vibe. Yeah. It's an inspiration. And it plays out that way. And the fact that it is it does have that clunky dialogue and stuff. That's part of the charm. And because it's it doesn't have the best actors but it's got the right ones for this because they're charismatic and people. There's, and their skills they, as dancers. And their skills as, yeah, they're skilled dancers. Right. Ozone and Turbo, put them in anything. Like, they are fun <laughs> as hell. Like and They're very charming. Yeah. I, I love this movie. Like, I really do. I think this is fun as hell. And I didn't see it till like, I was older, but I saw, I was like, damn, this thing, like, I want to dance after it. Like, that's right. the yes, power yes. of breaking. You want to go... You want to move? You want to dance? You enjoy it? And it's not even like Change the best. the world through dance. It's not even the best directed thing in the world either. Like, <laughs> but the carrot, like, I like the people they picked to put in this damn movie. Like, it works so well. I'm glad it got a sequel. Like, it does, it deserved it. And 
I don't know. It's it's got enough of the story to be about dancing, to teach us about a different kind of dancing, to show uh, overcoming adversity in many different ways through the dance and the friendships we made along the way, of course. But it it works. It's just and it's quick too, and it doesn't try to over dramatize stuff. It gets it hits the necessary beats that it's supposed to, and. Yeah, I think it succeeds wholeheartedly. Like, I, you know, we talk about star ratings all the time, but like, break it would be a high star rating for me that people are like, what? Yeah. Like, I, but the feeling I have after it, and I've, right. I've returned to this movie a lot. Like, I showed this movie, I tried, I was like, you know what? I'm going to show this movie to my kids. They freaking loved it. They, oh, that's awesome. They were, they were up and dancing. <laughs> they liked Ozone and Turbo. And then when I had it on, I was watching it to prep for the episode last night. My son goes, "Oh, you're watching the, you're watching the, uh, the dancing movie." He didn't remember the name. Like he's like, "Yeah." Was, he's like, and he sat and watched it for a bit again, like because he he saw Ozone and Turbo. He's like, "Here we go." And this comes, this comes together from a very, very canon produced thing because the. Menahem and Gawan, uh, they put it together and they've got like this Israeli director uh, making his American debut trying to this break dancing. Like, is he the right guy to understand this? <laughs> he would later, and oddly enough, he, he'd later direct the movie Rappin'. Uh, oh, nice. And he did Lombada. So, uh, the Forbidden Dance. He, he was into the dance and the popular waves, but uh, in the scape, the guy who wrote the screenplay so there's three three guys who wrote the screenplay uh, Dave Bouvois he also produces and this is it credit wise and Parker writes Breaking 2 that's the that's their kind of thing but Scaife he ended up being a production manager for M. Night Shyamalan pretty much he did Signs The Village oh. uh, Lady in the Water Happening Last Airbender he did the Matrix sequels Van Helsing Jarhead uh, and it was a construction accountant on Whatever that is on Titanic, Congo, uh, Landis's Innocent Blood, Wayne's World, Predator Two, Bugsy, Patch Adams, Mission to Mars, and recently Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. So he's got a <laughs> interesting side career from being a screenwriter, and it's shot by the cinematographer of Ernest Scared Stupid, and uh, <laughs> he he's got the Lucinda Dickey trilogy down because he shoots Breaking Two and Ninja Three. Domination uh, and uh, also shot Masters of the Universe. So he was, uh, Hanina Bear was on hand at Canon as well. But I mean, this movie was. Is she in? Is she in Master of the Universe? No, she's not. She's uh, Lucinda Dickey. She's uh, she's because she's this. in Ninja Three. Breaking. She's in Ninja Three. Yeah. So and oh, Breaking One and two. two. That was so, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Lucinda Dickey was like this girl that Canon thought was going to be their it girl. They they needed a Jennifer Beals person. And she was coming off. She had been in Greece too, and was a solid gold dancer. And they gave her this multi-picture deal. I think they gave her a four-picture deal, and only came through on three of them. Um, but she would do Break In. After this, she goes on to Ninja Three: The Domination, which, if you haven't seen that movie, put it at the top of your list. It is batshit crazy. Is yeah, I was, was going to say, as I recall, because I've seen parts of it. Maybe is it that she's possessed? Is that what it, it is? Is Flashdance meets the exorcist um, <laughs> meets one of the ninja movies from canon and it's it's a sequel to ninja 2 somehow it, it's not it's one of those just i mean it's a party movie like you put it on with a group of friends and everybody's having a good time it's 
you'll never think think of V8 the same again. And it's it's just wild. It, it's hard to explain, but you're really it is Flashdance, The Exorcist, and a ninja movie. It's interesting what you say though, because like I had a huge crush on Lucinda Dickey, obviously. Like mm-hmm. um, I had huge crush on her, and I feel like sort of the same in Step Up Two when you have Brianna Evigan, who is basically step up two is kind of like their version of, of uh, breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is like in the world we live in now, we're talking about streaming and there's just way more um, opportunities. I don't, I wouldn't say that I think Brianna Evigan has become like some big star. She had, right. What is it? Sorority row, the, the remake of sorority mm-hmm. row. But if you look at her credits at IMDb, she has consistently worked like, She's probably been on Law and Order. Like she's been on right. things where it's like, oh, she's in one episode. I feel like Lucinda Dickey, if you put her in the mid two thousands, in the same position leading a dance movie, mm-hmm. she probably would be doing okay. Yeah. Like she'd probably be like, yeah, she's doing a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I feel like to me, I'm like, oh man, what happened to Lucinda Dickey? <laughs> like she's so great, you know? Like yeah. it just wasn't. I don't. She think she had the opportunities back then for, you know, she's not going to get a Julia Roberts role. Like so. Right. Yeah. No, no. And can I mean Canon took chances on people that probably never would have ever had any other chances. Yeah. So I mean probably to them. But she did this movie uh called Cheerleader Camp. That was her last movie really. I wonder if that's horror. I, I think it might be. Actually I feel like you would know because you've seen so many of that yeah. like era. I think it might be. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah, her career was... I, I think she went probably back to dance stuff, too. I mean, that's not going to show up on IMDb if you're doing right, that dance makes sense. stage. But, you know, Canon Films, what they wanted to do, like... And I'm excited we're talking about a Canon Films movie. Haven't done that on a podcast for a while. But the fact that we both love this movie, the fact, the success of it and how good it is, is kind of a miracle because they rushed this thing to production. Like, yeah, that's what I heard. They were yeah. trying to cash in on the... They, Beat Street right. from Orion was going into production and they wanted to beat it to the theater. And they did by like two, three weeks. Yeah, it's not and, by much. Or two, three weeks. And that was the goal. Just get me a breakdance movie now. And they did. And they won the box office battle between the two. Um, but they wanted to crash in no matter what they were... They, they, they were going to put something on the big screen and they later would do this with the salsa craze in the late eighties. And they got salsa out right. a couple years before Lembada, which we just mentioned that director of uh, breaking did the competing one. But, um, yeah, that was, that was the thing. This is hot. We need a movie about it. This I'll is tell you, I'll, we need a movie about it. I'll tell you, I saw, I, like I said, I saw breaking, um, I don't know if it was opening night, but I mean, I saw breaking in a packed theater and uh crowd loved it it was great and i do i absolutely remember my friend of mine bring this up uh i remember we saw beach street like you said maybe three mm-hmm. weeks later or something and i i like beach street um beach street's a pretty good movie like they both yeah, it's are good it's good movies it's, it's definitely more of a saturday night fever vein. it's a drama it's definitely more of a drama yeah but i remember being in a packed house for beach street probably the same people that i saw breaking with like it's probably the yeah. same strangers and i remember about 40 minutes into beach street somebody was like get to the break-in and then like everybody laughed <laughs> because it it is more of a drama 
And it's like, you've got a bunch of teenagers that just want to see dancing. And you're like, oh, so I want to see the battles and everything. So, and again, obviously as an adult, I appreciate Beach Street more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was younger, yeah, breaking Be- all the way. Beach Street's like, the one you make down the road after you have a bunch of breakdance movies that are like right? really into the culture. <laughs> and then like, you're like, here's the here's the drama one. Here's the grits. It's of, the, uh, it's the yeah. Logan of the... Uh, Right. The breakdancing <laughs> movies. That's good. Yes, uh, it is. But yeah, yeah no, BC is a, is a good. They're both good. So I no, mean, of course, of course. Yeah. As viewers, we win. But yeah, I if I'm going to a breakdance movie, I want breaking. I want like craziness, wild, showing the the culture of it, and and this one delivers on that. And it's it's just amazing to me. It I happened. Think- when I got them both on VHS, I think that Breakin' was the movie that my friends and I would watch from beginning to end. Beach Street was the movie that we would watch only the dancing scenes, and then we would try to like mimic the dancing scenes. It would be right. like, oh my god, that scene at the Roxy! Like I know, like you know, my you put my VHS tape in, it's probably at that scene because that's the scene we would watch over and over again. Gotcha. Uh, I know there's a there's a scene in Flashdance that you just you brought up, Jennifer mm-hmm. Beals. There's a there's one scene in Flashdance where. Um, Beals and her friends, they're walking down the street and then there's like a breakdancing scene. Same thing. My videotape was always at that scene. That's the scene I want right. to see. So, but break in. Yeah. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> just like the whole thing's just so much fun, you know, right. and wrapped up in, in the, yeah. Breaking's kind of like the take a, take a left at flash dance. Cause she's going for that career. Like same right. flash dance, but right. she spins to the the pop thing, which she meets Ozone and Turbo, played by Adolfo uh, Adolfo Quinones, who recently passed away, which is passed away. Yeah. I was, um, but he was Don. After this movie, he was deemed hip hop's first matinee idol because of this movie's success. Oh, uh, Michael Chambers Turbo. He was uh, known as Shrimp or Boogaloo Shrimp. For yep. he uh, he winds up being this choreographer throughout his career hiding in like things like uh he was like the urkel bot on family matters he was the <laughs> the robot bill in bill and ted's bogus journey and then he was uh, like did uh, the choreography for do the bart man so i guess he just told them how to animate dancing wait and, really oh. yeah and he was the visual reference for animating casper in the christina ricci movie like it was really crazy where he went on to that do. is crazy wow um, but yeah, uh, they, those two just this movie lifts off with them, like, and they and the way they mesh with Lucinda Dickey, like, really has a good friendship. Granted, there's a kind of chemistry with Zone and her. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Go out too much, but I mean, it all works, and you get to watch them, her learn, be at odds, and how they they appreciate her dancing and incorporate into theirs. And she gives to them, uh, and learns with theirs. That's a real neat, uh, give and take what they showcase there. This also her friend here. I noticed gay black man, just a, okay, fine. They didn't have to point it out. They didn't have to, you know, act like they were heroes for that. I mean, it's just, it's yeah, it's true. Nice yeah, it's true. It- casual. Like that's what we want. Like the insert, like it was, um, just crazy. That they were able to just, throw that in there back then yeah it's the kind of it's the kind of character that if you watch that character she calls him cupcake right isn't that his yeah, like yeah, yeah. the if you watch that character now it's like yeah i mean it's a pretty over the top kind of like gay best friend mm-hmm. but you're right it's like the but but it's also cool because you're right they don't really make a big it's like ah, oh, it's your friend he, i gotta say even cooler it's it's not a, it 
it's not necessarily a leap for me to think that a a jazz dancer in the 80s has a gay best friend. That's right. not so strange. What is cool is that he's also friends with Ozone and Turbo. Yes. Like, they're just buds. And it's like, oh, yeah. And like you said, it's not a big deal. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I like that, that they're they're all... Because that's that's her... He's the way that she... she he's the one who introduces the, uh, mm-hmm. to Turbo and uh, Ozone, uh, which I think is great. Yeah, I like Which that. I just... It's just funny to me coming from Canon Films, the like Israeli backgrounds and stuff they have that they would just be <laughs> boom. Like it's totally controlled. Like looking at the screenwriting perspective, cinematographer, producer, director, that just, just let's do this. Like I would think, yeah, it's just, it's crazy yeah. to think that this just, or maybe they just had the actor and let him be who he wanted to be. That's it's possible true. too. It's true. Um, um, the other one, another thing that you might know, cause I mean, I think maybe you have more, information in front of you is that like mm-hmm. ah, shoot i don't remember who the rival um wait what, i mean i think the i remember rival, who's the, the rival, rival? Yeah, electro rock do you know the electro rock i love electro yeah. but do we know what became of them no I there's didn't. two I two up, main guys two main guys the one like, that looks right? like he could be john leguizamo's like older brother <laughs> He does. He does. And then, and then the guy, the oh, other guy with the, the other guy with the Pink Floyd hats for some and the reason. Hair. Like, oh, uh, he had some good right? hair. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the woman, uh, the woman on their team, that when they dance, she looks like she's got switchblades in her hands when she's doing her little hand she does motion. Kinda. I'm like, oh, she gonna stab somebody? But <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I really love. Yeah, I love that. That's another thing too. Is that 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 introduced? I think maybe for my young mind, the introduction of a dance battle. It makes sense to me because, I, again, I'm coming from genre, so I'm coming from, mm-hmm. like, sci-fi with, like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Or you could say you're in a Western or whatever. And so it works. Even though, again, Breakin' is very PG. It is not a dark, gritty look at urban right. life or anything. The violence in that is is really more suggested and stuff. Like, like unlike... Um, it's too silly to be... The- intense right like uh what's the movie um with michelle Fe- oh dangerous mind okay L- have you seen dangerous mind yes like who did in in Minds. we bought the album right. we went and saw <laughs> no i agree yeah i mean you know spoiler alert one of the kids dies in mm. dangerous minds because of uh i think gang violence but that you never really feel that in breaking like right even though in theory, like you could go down that route if you wanted to, but they don't like, which I really the, love. No, like, the worst so. is the creeper racist dance instructor for special K her, her regular dance. Oh, the rape, the rapey guy. Yeah. Rapey he's, guy. Like, he's uh, totally racist yeah, too. He is way yeah, he's, racist. He, he's pretty awful. This like, movie he, has a villain. Yes, he's, it's him. Yes. He's the, right, right. He's wait, actually, although I will say, I don't think he gets, pu- I would say it would be a thing for that character to get punched. I don't think he no, does. He just got, I think he just basically he I just believe gets owned. He right. got served. Yeah, you're right. He got served. I'm sorry. You're right. He yes, got I served. Yes. Uh, uh, but, uh, <laughs> and they have that club that they put together, which I'm watching it this time. I'm like, oh, this is just a really small stage that they made look better. Like it's. Oh, uh, but I'm I love like, it. I, no, I do love it. But, yeah. With Ice-T, the cinematic debut. In a feature film of Ice-T, he was in a documentary before this, but 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That uh, that that whole scene is uh, terrific. But you're right. It's probably just the set. I'm assuming. Yeah. Although you know, I've I have wondered. You know, um, because I was from Chicago, there were certain movies that when I thought of Hollywood and I thought of Los Angeles, certain things come to my mind. The two big ones is Sunset Boulevard and Point Break. Those are my mm -hmm. Point Break. Like was of of my age, and then Sunset Boulevard is just a classic, one of my favorite classic right. Hollywood movies. But even to a degree, Breaking like. They have a lot of use at Venice Beach and stuff. And so I am always wondering, like, wow, man, I wonder, are any of the are any of the locations in Breakin still around? Obviously, Venice Beach is still around. Oh, well, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but like the dance, the big the big dance thing at the end. I have no idea where that's supposed to be. Is that supposed to be downtown L.A.? Some feet like the Los right. Angeles theater or something. I don't know. Probably, like, it could be a um, set, too. Could be a stit. You know. Right. Um, but I would wonder that. I'd be like, that'd be cool to take the breaking tour of the LA. The breaking tour, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Get that going on. Uh, Christopher McDonald is in this movie. He's great. And he's yeah, great. he's good in that. Yeah. And because of oh, what Thelma we know, Louise. the roles he would yeah. play later, <laughs> you feel like something's up with this guy. And he's just a, he's just a really nice guy. He, right. He, he, well, he has also, an arc. He, yeah. Right. He's the agent, which typically is a sleazy character. And he sends her gifts, and, and it's like... He oh. sends her the flowers. And he's like, street he, yeah, dancing! It, street dancing belongs <laughs> in the streets! You're right. But you're right. Because they've already got... What what do they call it in wrestling? The heel? Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Is the heel the bad guy, the foil? Or, we've already got the dance, the dance teachers. He's the main. Yeah. He's the jerk. So they don't really need to do that for the for the agent. Um, and agent, I like that. Like, I like he the, stands up for them. He doesn't sleaze right. them out. He pushes for them. He buys into. He gets some opportunities. He treats Ozone and Turbo with res respect. Like, yep. yeah, like, and you're like, this is Christopher McDonald. He's supposed to be like be a dick. <laughs> like I've seen Happy Gilmore. I've seen all his roles. He's, he's got a snarl, but this is way before. Like he had been on like Cheers before this. Like that was. So just really interesting to to watch your own like meta thoughts on him not play it out. It would almost it, it would almost be like that guy, I don't remember his name. He's he's the jerk reporter in Die Hard and he's the jerk teacher oh. in Real Genius. And Ghostbusters, he's the guy who And uh, Ghostbusters, like he's that guy where it's yes. like, oh, he's always the he's the Yeah, Christopher McDonald yes. would be him in the nineties, yeah. Correct. Right, that guy. Like that guy would be yes. Um Actually, has that actor ever been a nice person in a movie? I don't know. I don't know. I think he was just that. That's um, how you wanted him if you cast him. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, kind of. He was in, um, wasn't he in Spielberg's Sugar Land Express with Goldie Hawn? He was the boyfriend. Oh, you know what? I'm terrible. I've never seen it. Oh, I think he was I've never seen that in that. Duel. Those are the two. Is that his oh. first and second? Yeah. Uh, it was a yeah, television like movie, um, and right, very good television movie. Probably one of the best television movies of all time. <laughs> um, seek them out, Pete. They're good. And we have a, of course, dance movie stuff would be without a montages and sequences like that. But uh, yes, yes, the, basically a music video. Yeah, speaking I of music videos, right? Love yeah. the one training. Maybe I just like the song, but the Shaka Khan ain't nobody training. Montage. Of course, like, yeah, oh yeah, that, that one. Yeah. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh yes, like dance, dance. Um, and I have to mention, of course, 
Ozone and Turbo working the convenience store, the broom dance sequence. Yes. All timer. That's the like a, is that track tour de France or something? I remember I, I I had the actual back in the day I had um when I had vinyls, I had the mm-hmm. the extended play of of that track that he's doing when he's doing the broom. Yeah, I love that like track. There's a lot of really I feel like they also really picked a lot of really good music. I love that. I just oh man, the even the even the, the corny exchanges, there's a big moment where things are down and out and Special K goes to Ozone on the beach and they have a like a heart to heart. Yeah, yeah, the Rocky silly. Three moment. Yes. It's Rocky Three. But it's, it's earned. on the beach. Like yeah. it's earned. It is, it no, it is. It's, it works. It's, it's the same. Yeah. I'm afraid. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. it's great. I I I do like it. Um <laughs> they uh, we also have, of course, we have a scene where like the rich people are made fun of. You go to the rich people party, like, oh, what is this? The hoity toity party, yes. Hoity toity yes. party. And then in the end, of course, <laughs> the big the big showdown with their in front of the, the cracker white people that are like, What is this hip hop dancing you're doing? And they're like, Oh, I love it. I love it. And they turn it into you know, this stage production. It's funny because um in my step up essay, one of the things I like about Step Up Two is that I I feel like in most dance movies we usually have the snotty girl and then she meets the street person mm-hmm. and then, you know, they have chemistry and blah, 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 blah. And what's interesting about what I liked about step up two is I like that Brandon Evigan's character is just a kid from Baltimore. Um, she doesn't have really any privilege and it's really the other, the, you know, the guy that's really more the rich guy, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Strangely, we haven't, with all the dance movies that have come since then, even in the step up realm, mm-hmm. they haven't done that a lot. What's interesting about Breakin' is obviously this is way earlier, this is 84. When the movie starts, we see her as a waitress. So right. our first impression is, oh, whoa, so she's just working. She's doing her best. But not really, because then we later find it, it's one of those weird things where it's, I wouldn't say it's a misdirect, but it's more... I think we're supposed to think that Kelly is a person who comes from money, but she's trying to make it on her own. And that's the issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whereas Andy in step up Two really doesn't have anything to fall back on. She really does. Like her mom's gone. She does in this, they sort of are like, Oh wait, unless that's in step up, maybe I'm confusing the two. Do we not find out that Kelly has rich parents until breaking two? Maybe that's breaking so. two. That's breaking two. Like this, this one, nobody's got parents. So this one, um, she's the waitress, and mm-hmm. we're just like, oh, she's struggling. But I like that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me how like a certain formula happens, and then Hollywood or whatever just kept that. It's always like privileged girl, usually white girl. Would it save the last dance? Or is that another yeah. one? And actually, and I like all these movies, but um, yes, I do. I like. I like it if our main character somehow has to struggle a little, even if it's a silly dance movie. I like yeah. that paying rent or whatever is still means something yeah. or whatever. So, because yeah, I really a lot like of that. artists I, have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ask you, um, do you like Breaking Two also? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I don't. It is a weird thing. People really, people, I feel like people love the name. It's a great name. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. But Which like for me, Breaking is. at the end of this. This movie's so bold. It promises It's a true. <laughs> Coming soon, That's Electric right. this, Boogaloo, the dance sensation of tomorrow. This story's, tr- this story's through, but wait for part two. Yeah. Yes. Bold. And I remember back in the day, um, I was watching on my television, 
Roger Ebert was at the Cannes Film Festival and he was interviewing the cast. I'm assuming it must have been for Breaking 2. And they were asking plans and Boogaloo Shrimp said they wanted to do Breaking 3D. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to do Breaking 3D. This sounds amazing. And it never happened. Oh. Uh, It would have been great. It would have been, I'm assuming it would have been like Friday 13th part three. It would have been the dual camera. Right. Yeah. Obviously it's not going to be av- Avatar doesn't exist. So it wouldn't have been digital, right? But, wouldn't have been done. For but, death. Oh, yeah. Oh. Imagine, imagine a, a break in 3d, an alternate universe where that exists. Could have done it. Should have done it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this movie, I, I got to mention, like talk about brain. This was a big hit. Like it wasn't they Oh yeah, like, yeah. like for what it, it costs. So I mean, it costs one point two million dollars and made back thirty eight million domestically. Yes. And I got curious. I popped it in to the inflation calculator. This is today, if this break was made today, it would have had just a little over three million budget and made over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's insane. That's insane. Like that is huge. Like, I would be curious. Because you know this better than me, is the biggest at that time. Because we're not at Blair Witch yet. Yep. At that time, is the biggest independent movie. Is it ho- the first Halloween? Uh, the first Halloween, Halloween was like t- sixty million. It's a lot, right? Yeah, but oddly enough, it was so. For some reason, the the first Ninja Turtle movie qualifies as a independent feature. I don't know how that is, huh. but it, it's under the realm. I think New Line picked it up there's something with that production that's independent and it got thrown in there but i don't know i remember reading about thinking it was weird back in the day but because there was halloween was halloween had some sort of independent record until ninja turtles and like i don't know how that happened but do you know so another monumental 80s film came out they debuted the same weekend and breakin took it down do you know which one it is I was stunned. It took I was it like, down? Took it down. In 84? 84. The week of May 4th. I mean, I would be so weekend. happy. I, I don't want to get into a fight, but I would be so happy if it's Ghostbusters, because I don't not, love Ghostbusters. No, because Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters and Gremlins opened uh, together same weekend. But this... this what, was, what, yeah, what was it? 16 Candles breaking top oh, at the box yeah. office. And 16 I Candles... I can only, see that. Uh, also, Hard Bodies and The Bounty came out uh, that same week. So four new movies. Uh, we, uh, I wow. think we talk about having a lot of movies nowadays. Like these still happened back then. But Breaking it held strong at the box office till Beat Street came out, and but Beat Street only made twelve million dollars. Sixteen Candles made twenty three million, and it like falls quickly. Sixteen Candles Breaking had a steady, steady, uh, steady roll. Whoa, so Breakin' made more money than 16 Candles, which also means, I mean, I'm assuming 16 candles, 16 candles is a universal film, so it must have cost yeah. more to make. It must yeah. have. Yeah, oh, had to like, Yeah, it was a small yeah. it was a small, um, small budget, but yeah. Ebert said of Breakin', a stiff and awkward story interrupted yeah. by dance sequences of astonishing grace and power, 1.5 stars out of four. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember that review, and I think you got he it likes wrong, Breaking Roger. Two. Yeah, oh, really? I think he comes around on break. He comes around on Breaking Two, and I feel but he like he won't go revise Breaking. Right, but I feel like if you go on YouTube, you can watch Siskel and Ebert talk about the first Breaking, and Siskel likes it. Okay, Siskel's like, "Who cares, man? It's got such great energy. It's funny. who that's cares?" Like, yeah, and Ebert's like, "No, yeah." 
Yeah, uh, Ebert. I mean, yeah, Ebert's one of my favorites, but yeah, of course, yeah. you got it wrong. Um, I was going to ask you what. Wait, so Breakin made thirty-eight million. Is uh-huh. that what you're saying thirty-eight domestic? What did Breakin two make? Because it wasn't uh, a hit. It bombed bad. Did Can't not... believe Beach Street only made twelve million. Twelve million? Break no, it, it, it debuted low top ten and was out in like two weeks. Breakin two Electric Boogaloo, fifteen million. Oh, still more than Beach Street. Yeah, uh, fifteen million it came out the following year, Christmas time. So, year and a half later, you got Breakin Two. I mean, I wonder if Breakin Two had made maybe twenty million, maybe we'd have gotten Breakin Three, three mm-hmm. D. It had just made a little bit more money because it still would have not been expensive for them to make. I'm not. I don't think Lucinda Dickey was suddenly getting um, a huge no. paycheck for Break because you said she probably was under contract for Canon. Right, like you said, so she was probably just right. a player. Yeah. Like so, man. Hmm. Do you think that it would be cool if, unfortunately, because there's only two remaining, but would it be cool? Would you be interested if they did a break in, either a show or movie, something where they would bring back some of the original players? Oh, oh yeah, of course. That'd be kind of cool. As long as yeah, they I think kept it be, fun and didn't try to get too serious with it. Like, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I agree. This is the last Canon film to be released uh, by MGM United Artists. They apparently, at the time of this release, uh, they had a disagreement over over John Derrick's Bolero, which had an X rating, and MGM UA didn't put out X rated stuff. So that was the end of their partnership. Wait, are you saying Breaking or Breaking Two? Breaking Two is a different distributor. Uh, the, the MGM didn't put it out. It was uh, oh, because okay. yeah, Bolero when we were. John Derrick directs his wife to have sex scenes with other men. Um, that that had an X rating, and they oh, God, I totally forgot about that movie. I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, like oh man, but, yeah. but no, I, um, I love Breaking. I, I really do. It's weird. People, you know, like, it's oh, funny. Ironically, you... I'm like, no, unironically, because <laughs> it's fucking great. Do you have, like, do you have any movies that you think you love? Ironically, I don't know if I do. Well, I don't like. Know, I know Hackers. I, I, Hackers is another movie I love, but I don't. I don't know if I love it ironically. I just like, really like hackers. I love like a movie like like Miami Connection and like uh, oh sure like Dangerous Men. But is that ironically? I'm getting entertained. Like I'm sure things are are done poorly, and that's why I'm laughing. But that's entertain. Like to me, that's not ironic. It's just like that entertains me. So I guess ironic is meant. I think what people mean by that is that it's not what the it's not right. yeah like it's not what's intended. Oh, the, uh, the room. Right. right. Yeah. The room. Yeah. 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 The room. Troll yeah. Two. Yeah. 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 Plan nine. Troll two. Right. 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 Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I. Guess I mean, I like. I, I love that stuff. Like, I grew up on Mystery Science Theater three thousand, so I always loved those movies. But I'm like, I have a fondness, and I, I enjoy them because I'm entertained by them for those. They they do more for me than a right. lot of comedies can't do. Like that's that's the thing. And I and a lot of people are like, oh well, that's people can be like that's mean to the people who didn't mean to make a bad movie. But I'm like. Sure, but I appreciate these things. Like I'm thankful sure. for them for making them. So it's like that's great. Like uh, you, uh, you didn't. That's not the goal you set out to accomplish, but you accomplished a goal that a billion other filmmakers wish they probably could have. Like there's people who True. try to make bad movies and suck at it. So I don't know. right. I mean, I would. I mean, yeah. Traditionally, studios have a hard time. It's it's <clears throat> it's kind of the same thing where I think studio films have a hard time being deliberately campy. Right. Like a camp movie is hard camp to is make. Supposed to be genuine. Like, 
Yeah, it's a weird, strangely, I think I love the show, mm-hmm. but um, I, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, I don't think it's like the worst thing ever, no, but I not. definitely feel like it's a movie that I think it's Fox, right? I think it's a big studio. I think it's a studio. But I think it's a movie that they're trying to somewhat tap into a camp quality and it doesn't quite work. I still like other aspects of it, but if Whedon had made, if Whedon and I forgot who his co-writer is on that, but if they had made that on like a zero budget or something, it might have a much more genuine right. quality to it. I, I you think know? part of the rep for so. that is Joss Whedon not shutting up about not being happy with that for years. So I think people who are <laughs> re- relatively fine with that movie, like all of a sudden would turn just because they have, well, Joss said this, you know, and it's, it's a fine movie. It's, it's like, it works. Like it's got, a, it's, got a cult fan base stuff like that like it, it's it's an it's okay no the series tv series is way better but the film's still oh, yeah, that yeah. bad um it works but but yeah it's the example of like when i although technically isn't rocky horror is rocky horror picture still a major studio and yeah, that's like that was fox the king of camp fox put that out oh fox again i mean all right i mean that's a camp that's a camp classic so mm-hmm. or cult classic or whatever so like would i call breaking is that a cult movie just because it's because no, you know what's weird is I giant think, box office hit. No way. Yeah, but I think people now would think it's a cult movie because it's. But you're saying it's for, not. Forgotten. It's it's not right because I, no. I was like it was a huge hit. It was a huge. Yeah. There, there's movies that are Academy Award nominated. People are like it's a cult film. I'm like no, but it was Academy Award nominated. <laughs> just time has passed and it's not in the conversation. That doesn't make it a cult film. Like a cult film, either correct. A cult film has to like have horrible reviews to go with bad box office or something like that and be underseen entirely. You don't, would that be, is Blade Blade Runner that? Blade Runner is a cult film. Yeah. The original Blade Runner is a cult film. Um, The original, yeah. The original Blade Runner. The thing, John Carpenter thing. Yeah. John Carpenter's the thing is a cult film. But then I argue too, as time has passed, they were cult movies for so long. They've been brought up in the lexicon as films you have to see and bona fide right. good films. It's reflected. So, are they cult films anymore? That's that's the que- that's a question I've been posing a lot. Like in the recent years, it's like so you're saying it. You're saying that status can change. Is Rocky Horror a cult film? Everybody knows what that is. It's popular. People do it. They have midnight screenings of it. Like you can buy a Blu-ray of it. It's, it would, would be on TV. Like. I, sometimes they reverse like they were a cult film for a long time, but now that cult, like the big Lebowski is that a cult film. No, like, yeah. They have a festival for it every year. That's overpopulated yeah. and sold out. So that, that's my thing. Like, is it a cult? Like, and it's harder in our information era. It's harder to find something that's a cult, truly a cult movie because you can find a podcast on it or this you know people people are wanting to find that next cult movie and populate things up that it used to be something you heard word of mouth someone told you about not that you could not something you could go and find 80 articles on or something like that so i'm not going to gatekeep cult movies but i'm just wondering on the definition i'm like is it right anymore or do we have them um i would say you know i mentioned annihilation earlier Probably a good candidate for hmm. modern cult movie. I mean, critics <clears throat> liked it though. Critics did like it, but I mean, you can be critics liked it, but it you can be a yeah. critically you can be a critically liked movie and under and poor box office and then no Academy Awards and still be a cult film because then the critics True. are pushing the cult 
thing away. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's hard to find what I would deem a real cult classic nowadays because everything's there. Everything gets everything gets promotions. Everything gets talked about. There's the in defense of everything or you know, true. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, I mean, I think that I I think that horror popular horror series uh and to the same degree popular dance series like step up movies and stuff i think those are mostly profitable Mm -hmm. and they're a brand so i don't know it's just that what we would think of as mainstream audiences when they think of friday 13th or step up or something they think that they're just like kind of not very good so Mm -hmm. to that mentality it becomes smaller or culty but they wouldn't have made that many Friday the 13th or step up movies if they weren't making money. Right. So like, yes, they were clearly hit. And and everybody knows if you say step up or Friday the 13th, people know what you're talking about. Yeah. Even if you haven't seen it, you know what it is. But Friday if you say movie. subspecies, <laughs> yes. there you go. There you can, I would argue subspecies is probably still cult territory. If you want to call any of those a classic, but it does have their fans, I guess. Interestingly, my brother and his wife have a series that they love, um, and I've never seen it. And I think they like it like a cult movie. And I'm curious if you have. Have you seen Undisputed 3? It's oh, some action wrestling, like I, MMA, I've, maybe an MMA I've thing or something. With Michael Jai White. Okay. Um, yeah, I had to video, do the DVD for these, two. Um, I did, it was about right. him boxing in a prison in Russia. Yes, I think it's a pure prison thing. Yes, I think you're right. I think it is mm-hmm. a prison that's the theme. Um, but yeah, so that is not super big. I'm right. like, there's okay, a lot of, yeah, yeah there's a lot that. of action like, yeah, movies like, that are like Indonesia is like a hotbed for action movies right now. I don't know why, but you can find all these on like some of them come to Netflix and stuff. And like, I would say that that's good candidates for cult movies or the definitely a lot of the action movies nowadays. Cause you have to hear from somebody about them. So yeah, they probably, probably yeah. It's just a it's not that they're gone or the definition altering, and we live in different times. It's evolving. So was Texas Chainsaw Massacre a hit? Oh yeah, no that that was was that was quite yeah that was well reviewed and uh, phenomenon of the time. It traveled. Releasing was different back then, but it 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 was. It was quite good. I would say I always think cult Black Christmas back then. That was a cult. It was a Canadian movie. Okay, got smaller release. A lot of people look back on it now. Had a home video life, uh, but that would be a that would be a cult movie. I would think from from that era. I mean, I, yeah, I tend to when I think of the seventies, I think of Halloween and The Exorcist. Yeah. So you have a small movie, and then you have a studio film, and right. they were both juggernauts. Um, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was always, I'm always like, well, I know it's critically liked, but I'm always like, I don't know how big it was. Like, um, I mean, and it took forever to get a sequel. Like, how long does it take? Is it the 80s? It was 86. Yeah. Oh, so you think Hooper just didn't want to make a sequel? It wasn't. And then then all the slasher guys got popular in the 80s. So Cannon wanted, Cannon gave Toby Hooper a three film deal because Toby Hooper wasn't getting any jobs. And they said, they gave him a three film deal as long as one of them was a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and had Leatherface in it. That was their deal. And they also offered it up to Carpenter to do Michael Myers. And he was down with producing one, but 
Mustafa Akkad and I think Erwin Yablons was still ownership rights did not thought he was trying to sabotage shit with the script he was approving and stuff and uh, that deal got pulled so but they Michael Myers they were supposed to do a Halloween movie in 86 or 87 um, with Canon films and that never happened and pulled on Carpenter was supposed to do a multi-picture deal with them too but couldn't get that to happen what we're also talking about is the the eras that these came out in um i do wonder you know obviously in the 30s and 40s you have uh fred astaire and uh ginger rogers Mm -hmm. are making a ton of dance movies i'm pretty like if we had friend of the show yancey burns here he could tell me or maybe you can tell me i'm sure that at the same time swing time and those movies were coming out there must have been smaller produced dance movies that other studios were making because at the time that was very popular yeah so it actually makes me wonder like if step up if not step up if break in some if somehow the culture was even more into that that they wanted more of it like they did Mm -hmm. in the 30s and 40s we might have had like seven seven of those things or whatever whereas what the culture was interested in was slasher movies so we got a lot of Friday 13th and Halloween and Nightmare on the Street and everything but I I do think that might be like a cultural like what people really wanted you know what Mm -hmm. teenagers and stuff wanted well we also got a lot of slobs Um, slobs versus snobs yeah you're right so that was popular as well but yeah that's uh, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. But yeah, but either way, yeah, I love Breakin. It's it's absolutely one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite films that I grew up with and that I've seen so many times. I, I honestly think that I I I know I saw Breakin more in theaters than The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I've probably seen The Empire Strikes Back more than I have Breakin. I've seen The Empire Strikes Back so many times on VHS. But honestly, Breaking is probably in the like top five for like a thing that I just watched all the time. Oh, wow. But yeah, Empire, I probably I've seen that more. <laughs> that was just my my go to. Just what was happens. that something you watched a lot? Like I'm trying to I'm assuming you saw Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back special edition is the movie I've seen in the theaters the most times. Oh, how many? It was only it was only uh like five or six times, but uh, that was without a car when I was like a, I think it was like a freshman or a sophomore in high school. And, well, no, we've been, I'd have been 15. So yeah, no car. But yeah, I, I just, because I was like, I don't know if these are ever going to come to the theater again. And I love, I, <laughs> I actually saw it. Every time I saw it, I picked a different spot in the theater to see it. So like oh. I actually sat like to the side looking up like that to watch it one time. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah, that was People will knock those special editions, but those were a big deal to me because I got to see Star Wars on the big screen for the first time. So, but yeah, the, you not into slasher movies until later in life, or no, no, I was in slasher movies then. Yeah, um, oh, okay, I saw, right. well, like I saw Halloween H two O twice in the same day when it came out. So, whoa, saw the first and last showing of that day. It was a big deal to me. So. Wow, I did that for uh, Force Awakens. I saw it oh, okay. uh, first and last show. I saw. Um, I, didn't, I saw, haven't done that a lot. For I saw for Attack of the Clones at the midnight show, and then the four o'clock show the next day. So four a.m. or 4 no PM? four p.m. four p.m. Okay. So nice. Yeah. I I think the most I've seen a movie is seven, but I've seen 
I feel like two or three movies I've seen seven times. I saw Phantom Menace seven times, Mm -hmm. Terminator 2 seven times. And actually, I think I saw Breakin' seven times. Breakin's a little trickier because I was in elementary. I don't know. I could be wrong. But I feel like I saw it a lot. But I I feel like seven is my cap. I saw Batman Begins like four times. Because I kept finding people that hadn't seen it. I was like, we're going to Batman Begins. Let's go. (laughs) I was like, we're going there. Let's go. Let's go see it. But I know, yeah, Empire Strikes Back Special Edition is the film I've seen most in the theaters. Awesome. Fun fact. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's great. What else? This is where we just talk about anything we've taken in recently, like, uh, or maybe put out in the world. So, like movies, music, games, books, whatever. Pete, what else? The other thing that I've been really into, wait, yeah, so games is Mass Effect. Have you ever played Mass Effect? I never know how I never know how I'm much not a big gamer. No, do. not much. My my gaming's retro gaming and I swear I'm gonna play uh Breath of the Wild all the way through. Oh it's fantastic. Yeah, Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Amazing. Mass Effect is a sort of it's sort of Star Trek meets Star Wars. Like the per, like the like the fun is more like Star Wars, but the setup is that you know you are a captain of this mm-hmm big spaceship called the Normandy and you go and save the universe and everything. But I will say that, um, so mass Effect. um, what's interesting about mass Effect that I think you might be interested in is that mass effect is one of the first, I'm actually technically, I'm sure it's not the first, but maybe it's the first on a big scale. It's the first video game, the original mass effect. The first one came out in 2007 or 2008 Mm-hmm. And then Mass Effect 2 and 3 were like two years apart or whatever. When they decide to re-release Mass Effect, what they did was they took the code and they kept the same Unreal 3 engine. I think right now we're on Unreal 6 or something. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about playing the Mass Effect trilogy again a decade later on my new shiny PlayStation 5 is that it runs great. The load times are fantastic. Same, same voice acting and everything. But they didn't remake it. And I think that's an interesting... Final Fantasy just was done as a remake. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy used to be 2D, 2D kind of 3D polygon. Yeah. And now it's this lush 3D thing. And it looks amazing. But there is a difference in a video game between a remake, which means they you know, they take the essence of... They're trying to keep the spirit of the game, but it's mm-hmm. brand, basically a brand new game or a remaster. Remasters have been done before, but they're usually within a smaller time frame. Like The Last of Us, the first one is maybe a year or two between the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4. What I think is interesting as a film fan is that the re- this remake of Mass Effect, it kind of reminds me of a Criterion collection. Gotcha. Because when you look at a Criterion film, the idea, or even I remember you and I have had these conversations uh, off podcast about the arguments people had when I think you said Halloween... Was it when it came on Blu-ray or DVD? And the way they Color did the timing. transfer, some people, yeah. yeah, some people thought mm-hmm. this is wrong, this looks terrible, and other people were like, no, this is great, this is what they wanted or right. whatever, and that becomes a thing in the in the the kind that becomes a conversation. So that is very much a big thing in Mass Effect, where they took the code, they used the same engine, but obviously, what worked on a 720 HD television is not going to work color wise on a 4k hdr so they had mm-hmm. to make changes right yeah and 
in general, I would say the critics mostly like it. Um, but there are some who really don't. They're really like, no, this totally takes away from the aesthetic of what the original was. And that, again, that's what reminds me of the conversations about a criterion transfer or the Halloween transfer. Because you know so much more about that than I do. But there is an art to taking something and you want to you want to make it watchable or playable on a new television and a new audio system. But it's, it's always, I guess, that balance of like, how much are you doing to keeping the essence of what the art of the film is sort of like you, when you're talking about um, the, like a Fulci, right? The first time you see zombie on Blu-ray, it looks way cleaner than whatever VHS you saw of of like that. But um, so, yeah, so I guess, but anyways, I love Mass Effect. I'm a huge fan. It's a huge trilogy. I've already finished all three games. I've already gone through my 70 hours and I've already started a new campaign. And I'm sure Aaron, friend of the show, will say I should be watching more movies. Um, but I'm a huge fan of it. But I do I do think that's an interesting conversation is that we are in these last 10 or 15 years. We're in an era of like, how do you, what do you as a fan want or what displeases you about taking something from an earlier era and then repackaging it in a way right. i don't know i i think you you must find because again because the halloween thing you know so yeah. much about that stuff well i mean ideally that was supposed to be the one of the benefits of cgi like you're supposed to be able to continue to work on it to continue right. to and they don't typically they don't i mean yeah. some people some get polished up but not not to the degree that we thought they were so you get these 90s movies with these like ooh. Uh, prehistoric CGI that were intended to be refurbished. It's only been done like um, Star Trek: The Next Generation. When those came to Blu-ray, they had to completely yeah they redid the those. effects right uh, because they were rendered in like SD and wouldn't transfer. Yeah, so in four eighty or something. They had to rescan the films, re-edit the episodes, redo the uh, special effects. Like it's that's what was the intention but now we just keep moving keep moving keep moving who cares just release it as it is so uh, but because it's really expensive too but i mean the star wars movies as they've come to home video have tweaked their their effects to look better uh, i think when people jump on the special editions they just mean job of the hut and han shooting first because mm-hmm. there's no way i mean i have there I are think aesthetic, I still have there, the laser there's cosmetic yeah. fixes that i don't want to go away. I don't want to see through cockpits. I don't want to see shadow right. boxes around Absolutely. ships. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, is, this, is right. that what it's called when you see it's the shadow ship box and there's yeah. that weird box thing? Yeah. yeah. I don't want that. So I was no. like, no, that would be terrible. Like, uh, Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. what people talk about, I want the original Star Wars. I'm like, you don't really want the original. You, you just want those scenes it. taken out. Yeah, you want at least to start at the THX versions from the 90s. Yeah. That's the start. <laughs> right. Yeah, so there's that. But um, my what else? I go with I watched Willy's Wonderland over the weekend with uh, Nicholas Cage. I don't know what that is. It's he doesn't say what, a single Willy's word Wonder? in the movie. Oh, he he's this guy who has his car break. Like he runs over some police spikes on accident, and he has to get his car fixed in this podunk town that doesn't have an ATM. And he doesn't have enough cash to have it fixed, but they offer him, like, if you work for it, we'll do it. And they sit, there's this old Chuck E. Cheese-type place called Willie's Wonderland, and uh, he just has to clean the place up overnight, and uh, they'll they'll fix his car for him, have it ready in the morning. Well, this place is, like, haunted, and the animatronics come to life. And he Oh, it's the video has, game thing. 
has to sur- survive the night. It's it's Five uh, Nights at Freddy's, yeah. which is something my Five kids Nights are, at Freddy. Uh, my kids are obsessed with, so they're all asking about like how is this movie would Five Nights. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I thought it looked like fun. It was for the most part fun, but it did it did look and feel a lot cheaper than I thought. When from was the trailer. it made? Last year. It came out last year. Because I'm like, I feel like if this was a classic 80s or 90s cage, I would have heard of yeah, this. So. But no, this is, he was a producer on hmm. it too. Um, but it's it's all right. It's not long. That's good. Um, and it's not the special effects that look cheap. They actually look pretty darn good and they have people in costumes and stuff. But it's the like the aesthetic look of it looks cheap like just yeah not by design just like oh did do we has this person directed anything before or something like that but eh, it, it's on hulu you know i think i think it's you know i think you hit the nail on the head there because i know that um i also recently watched event horizon mm-hmm. and i have i don't really have a problem with the aesthetic but yeah. i do i did and i and i like the movie but I did feel that there was, it, it it feels like the kind of thing where I was like, oh, well, they don't have, they didn't have Ridley Scott alien money. Right. I'm like, so it doesn't look like that. I still like it though. Um, whereas I thinking of because you have it in the background. Um, I watched the 4k. Did you tell me it was a UK release? I watched Prince of Darkness. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me borrow it. Mm-hmm. And that's not a big budget movie, but it looks fantastic. Yeah, like and yeah. the way the way they did the Mercury shot with the devil's hand coming out or oh, whatever, yeah. it looks great. Like I mean, Carpenter's well, use of like at the space. end is one of the most yeah. haunting images I've ever seen of that thing oh, coming yeah. out of the building, and that's cheap old, with a film. <laughs> and it's horrifying. Like just yeah, yeah. But you know, um, good stuff. But yeah, Willie's wearing. Well, I've never heard of that Nicholas Cage. Huh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that'll do it for today. Pete, thank you for coming on the show proper. We had a oh, lot of conversations. So if yeah. you are, <laughs> you are into the uncut video version episodes, I'm sure there's a lot more going that you missed on this that went into there. So, uh, good stuff all around. And, uh, let my listeners know uh, that I'm sure they'll hear you hear you again on a commentary here in the near future, but until then work, they keep up with and find your work. Oh, I'm, you know, on social media, I'm like on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, YouTube, I'm Pajamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on YouTube is where I'm trying to do my, uh, doing my video essays and movie reviews. I'm hoping to get some more up there. And then I write for, uh, same place as you, I write for whysoblue.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Mostly, I mostly do theatricals. You do more of the home video stuff. There we go. True. Yeah. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at whysoblue.com. Uh, this Friday, if you are in the Midwest or Indianapolis area, come to uh, PopCon uh, convention. I'll be a guest there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Come cool. see me at my booth. I'll be doing a live show with the uh, voice of the show, Jessica Altman. She'll be joining me for that. She'll be there Saturday, too. And then uh, also I'll be on a Doctor Who panel discussing uh, the show uh been invited on that so pretty exciting and uh yeah so come see me there at popcon fort wayne at the indianapolis convention or indiana convention center i think it's called um it's gonna be a fun time the first event there since the pandemic oh so, uh, pretty awesome so all right well there is also more of this week from the brandon peters show but until then always remember to keep the positivity in your online film discussion
thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. This story's through, but wait till part two.